Does managing your religious trauma leave you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and alone? When we talked with Emily, another survivor, she said, I always feel like I'm not good enough. I judge myself very harshly and feel it in my chest like an ache. I feel tired, a general kind of depression, sadness, and disappointment. I wish I had more tools. As fellow religious trauma survivors, we've been there and we get it. In fact, that's why we created Beyond the Wound. Beyond the Wound is a virtual summit that helps survivors of religious trauma find the resources, freedom, and connection they seek. Our virtual summit has over 20 trusted thought leaders and licensed experts in the field of trauma and religious trauma. Come and learn how trauma affects your nervous system, gain practical tools for mind-heart-body healing, and learn how to trust yourself. Join us at your own pace between January 15th and February 5th, 2023, at our first annual Beyond the Wound Virtual Summit. Find support and tools to help you move with confidence beyond your wounds of religious trauma and into a life of freedom and safety. Go to beyondthewound.com to register and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your ticket. We hope to see you there because no one should have to walk the path of healing alone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Religious trauma. (laughs) Do you want to know what I did this morning, Jamie? Just kidding. You already know, but you want to know what I did, listeners? I woke up in the 5 a.m. hour, which is like... If you knew me, you would be like, no, you didn't, because I am the exact opposite of a morning person. I am not a morning person at all. I I don't like to see even the 7 a.m. hour if it were up to me. So there had to be a very good reason why I did that. And I'll tell you what that was. It was because today, this morning, was the last full lunar eclipse until the year 2025. And so I'm like obsessed with the moon. I'm literally wearing my moon necklace right now. And yeah, my whole family, literally me and my four kids, we and my husband, we all went and we drove down the street to like a more of a clearing. And it was like a they call it a blood moon because when there's like a full lunar eclipse, the moon turns like red and it's really, really Mm -hmm. cool looking. I I thought I would share that little moment, that little nugget of joy. Most likely have listeners that share in your love of the moon. So don't stress about that. You'll probably have people be like, yes, I do. Um, (laughs) So yeah, like we were joking about. Yes. Okay. So we are on what? We are on the fourth part of the series. I think so. I think so. I love how good we are at keeping track of ourselves. We don't remember anything. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) we are... In the thick of some of the religious trauma talk, and me and CA had so many different directions we want to go, but we eventually ended up on the topic of our inter 
interchange with joy and our interchange with pleasure when it comes to how that was taught to us in the religious context. So it's kind of one of those things that I we can't speak generally, like truly, I can't speak from like, a big religious, you know, general sweeping statement here, because I, I truly think that certain faith systems have almost like different ways they teach about experiencing joy and experiencing pleasure. And if that is allowable to be experienced in the world, quote unquote, or if that is almost like imprisoned around only joy is coming from the Lord kind of thing. So um, we're going to really like untangle this today because this is something when we sat with, we're like, wow, that really ran deep for us in different parts of our healing journey. And I honestly think that especially people like from Calvinistic, like upbringing, some of the more radicalized um, faith systems that you find in evangelicalism, like the idea of experiencing pleasure is actually evil. Like it's actually evil. So I think we, we're just going to get started. I mean, CA, I don't know if you want to take us off of this because I genuinely think we are in a place where people in general without religion I can speak from like the therapist lens here, struggle with experiencing good things. And then we have the extra layer of religious trauma that happens. So if we have our trauma brain clients, right, we have a little trauma informed clients, like what happens is they don't necessarily think they deserve good things. And then we add that layer of religious trauma that says, not only do you not deserve good things, but like also your religion doesn't agree that you deserve, like, I'm sorry, does agree, does agree that you do not deserve good things. So it's this weird, like clustering of the ideology, especially when you're in the initial stages of healing. So we have to really break down like why religions are teaching people to be leery of joy and pleasure and like how that messaging comes through. Because when we sit here and say that, there are people that are going to be listening and being like, that's not Christian teaching. Like, of course, you're allowed to be happy on the surface. Yeah, you could probably get most people to agree with you. But for those of us who were raised in these faith systems, we were received What's difficult about it is like you get all this mixed messaging and we can't always be certain how deeply some of these ideologies are going to embed themselves and like weave themselves into all the different areas of a person's life. And so what is it phrase that a pastor spoke one time that like 90% of the people took benignly, there's 10% of the people in that congregation that are now going to be tortured for life by that sentence and never be able to get it out of their head. And it's going to take over so much of the way that they operate their lives. And that's why it's like, this is such a tricky topic because it's difficult to know exactly what phrases were said that created some of these like mentalities and what types of cultures. It's not just phrases. It's not just the preacher and it's not just a Bible verse here or there. It's like cultures like within church communities that are kind of like 
almost like subconsciously and like as like a backdrop to how people interact with each other and, and, and like little phrases that people like say offhand. And it all sort of builds up to this overarching, like I said, backdrop where you are now living with a very restrictive mentality around how, when, where, why, and what type of joy and pleasure you are allowed to engage with. And so now we're going to try to get into like some of the, I'll try to get into some of the specifics because it's almost like in order to understand what types of things are said and how they affect people, we're going to, we're going to do this kind of like back and forth interplay. One of the examples we were talking about before we started recording was music. Music is actually a really great um, example to start with, with this one, because this is something I think I personally experienced from our church. And I know a lot of people in a variety of different versions of Christianity probably receive similar messaging to this. And this is going to talk, we're going to, this is going to range like anywhere from a more benign messaging, which is something along the lines of that, like Christian and worship music is like the best type of music to listen to. Right. Like a spectrum. But yeah, like, like a spectrum, right? Like the message, they did say like, oh, the best type of music to listen to would be Christian music. But you know, there are some pop songs and, and modern songs that don't have harmful messages and those are also okay to enjoy. Um, but make sure you steer clear of songs that are actively promoting things that are against our religion, right? I would actually say that overarching like structure is a more benign version of this. Even that, I could unpack. I could unpack it, but I'm just going to, for the sake of like within a religious structure, that to me seems like the most benign messaging. But then we move to the other end of the spectrum where it gets so restrictive, where you literally have religions that say that all music <laughs> is going to lead you to sin. Like they don't even sing in their churches at all because like any type of music is going to like make you feel feelings and anything about like the body is going to lead to sin. Like even, even if you sing a song about God, it could like excite your body and that's bad, right? Okay. So we have it going all the way to that spectrum of like, we can't even sing about God, like no music. So I think obviously we know that that's like, wow, that level of restriction. I think most people could agree that that is difficult to justify that that is not harmful. Okay. That I feel most people would agree that that is like, Ooh, that's, Ooh, we're taking it pretty far. I mean, we've got, there's a line movies. We've got footloose, right? One of the most famous movies ever about a town that wasn't allowed to dance. And then the guy comes in and gets everybody to dance. But, but what's difficult is because there isn't like hard and fast rules about this, you're going to have this like messaging that comes during this like middle area here where like now we're going to be in our in our some of the sermons that the preachers are giving and things like that they might like actively like denigrate a pop star right they might like use a pop star's name to be like you don't want to go acting like Beyonce and you know showing off your body to everybody or whatever you know what I mean now they're like actively speaking badly about a pop star. Okay. Did they ever say, don't listen to Beyonce? Listening to Beyonce is going to send you to hell? No, not necessarily. But the way that they spoke about her and her music very clearly sends you the message that, oh, I can't 
I can't listen to this music, I guess. And so the next time you're driving in your car and a Beyonce song comes on and you find yourself like dancing to it a little bit because it's a sketchy tune, all of a sudden what happens? You get flooded with like fear and shame and guilt that you were enjoying it for a minute. And so you're like, oh no. And so you like quickly turn it off because, you know, heaven forbid that you enjoy a Beyonce song when you now know that like, oh, we don't like Beyonce, right? You you now are no longer an individual. You're part of the we. So in order to stay in the we, that is your religion, we don't like Beyonce. We can't listen to Beyonce. So you turn it off even though you were enjoying it. Uh, you're not allowed to. And so you, for some you people, this yeah. takes over, right? This right, like right. constantly questioning everything. And then like, so say you're listening to another song that your religion never strictly preached against now you're getting like scrupulous about it you're listening you're going you're like listening to the lyrics is this okay to listen to are they gonna say anything bad what if they say something that's just like talking about dating but they didn't say that they were having premarital sex they were just dating but what if they are like maybe I shouldn't listen to this song because it might be promoting something that's against my religion yes it's so this is interesting because I think what is so fascinating to me is that it doesn't allow for you to actually get to the reason about where the joy is coming from, right? When you're just told that the joy is coming mm. from an evil source yes. and you don't actually get to examine. That's one of the things that makes me so sad is that like if you're in the car, you're listening to Beyonce, you love it, you're having a great time and then all of a sudden your brain flashes like, oh shoot three weeks ago, I think he mentioned this. Um, and then there's guilt and then there's shame. And then you just turn it off. My brain goes, there wasn't actually a moment of like empowerment over why you would turn it off other than you were just immediately were jumping to conclusion that it must be evil. And then you must be a bad person for enjoying it. But if I sat with you, right, I always tell people if I'm a shoulder therapist or like CA's your shoulder coach, and she's sitting over your shoulder and saying, wait a second, I saw you turn it off. But like, let's just sit with where is the joy coming from? Are you are you joyful that she's talking about shaking her booty? Are you like loving the lyrics? Are you liking like are you liking her style? Like are you like like what is it? Because if we're talking about the moral behind a joy, right? The morals behind what you're enjoying. Nine times out of 10, people aren't going to say I literally love that she just described like cheating on her husband. No. And by the way, if you know Beyonce, it was the opposite, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that with her Queen Bay. We, Let's, we, we be clear. Let's, Let's be clear. Let's be clear. We do not clear. need the Bay no, coming after us. <laughs> okay. But what, why I'm talking about that is that what someone's going to possibly insert for you is that that song contained something that was that theme. And therefore, the entire song is off off the radar. It can't be considered. When in reality, if you're like, why do I enjoy this song? And you realize it's not because there was a slight moment in the lyrics that you didn't agree with, but it was actually, I like the rhythm. I like the beat. I like the sound. I like the, you know, I like the feeling around, you know, just like the whatever. If you're able to sit with that, what's happening is you're actually gaining like 
conviction and empowerment over where the joy is coming from. And you're actually gaining assertion that, no, it's actually not this all or nothing. I'm good. I'm bad. The song's good or bad. It's just that, yeah, there are a couple of lyrics that I don't necessarily agree with. And I like the song. Like, that's okay. It's not like I have to throw out the entire song. It's just that I might not agree with a couple of the lyrics. Okay. So when I think about that, what's so interesting is that, I mean, I'm just, I just think this is worth talking about because this is, <laughs> oh, the stories I have from my cult embedment, like being embedded in the cult. I'll never forget this. We had an entire, I swear on my life, it was like a two and a half hour lecture when I was I probably 19 years old about rhythm. Oh, geez. Being, being opportunistic channels oh. of opening portals. Oh, wow. To demonic oh, wow. presence in your life. And they weren't even talking about lyrics. They weren't even talking about like, they were genuinely talking about rhythms, like beats of music and the way certain beats lined up would be resonating in such a way that it would open demonic portals to your soul. And therefore entire genres that even hinted on certain rhythms would be interchanging with the evil presence or Satan. And when I tell you, even though I was deep in the cult, even my like indoctrinated ass was like, wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> and wait a second. <laughs> I just need to tell you guys that story because when people hear it, they're like, no, Jamie, it wasn't that bad, was it? I'm like, no. There were moments that got so deeply entrenched in cult-like behavior that that was definitely one of those moments. So I'm bringing this up for a reason. Does the limit exist in mm. certain religious ideologies? And honestly, especially in the, and I don't even want to say fun of radical orthodoxy, radical conservative belief systems, there may not be a limit, folks. Right. Right. There may not be a limit. So if one person says, yes, we can listen to Gregorian chant, one person could come at it and be like, yes, but one time I ran into Satanists and they also chanted. So we don't want to pretend we're like them. So like we need to just not interchange with that at all. And that's what we get as much as she makes the joke about dancing and footloose. Like that's where you do. You will get people that are like, okay, music's just off the table. Music's mm -hmm. just off the table. It's too risky. It's, it's too, too risky. much. But what's so interesting, and this is why I'm looping it back to the narrative of like your own autonomy, is that <laughs> no one's sitting down and asking, wait a second, when I listen to this rhythm, do I feel demonically oppressed? No, they're just being told you are, you are are susceptible to this demonic oppression. Therefore, do not even engage with it versus like, it's a fear-based directive, basically. It's a fear-based directive. It's saying like, do not engage with the music. And if you do, you're op opening yourself up. And so my brain goes, well, now it does. It, before I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting topic. 
But now my brain goes, you're not even giving yourself the opportunity to be like, listen to the music and say to yourself, genuinely with radical honesty, do I feel altered? Do I feel like someone's attacking me? Do I feel like... I get guys, the power of suggestion is real. Oh my gosh. That's where I was. That's exactly where I was going to go with this because that's what's, what what really happens with this structured mentality is that it completely shuts down your ability to authentically self-explore because you are living under a structure that is so restrictive and so hierarchical in regards to like this is who's allowed to tell you what's right and wrong. And it's an external source that exists somewhere above you, right? So you are like underneath and externally removed from the source or sources which say what you are and are not allowed to do, say, experience, etc. And so because of that, there actually, there's no framework there for authentic self-exploration. You don't get to. I mean, you genuinely don't get to in that type of a structure because the minute you start to, all you have to do is stack up whatever is going on internally against these external rules. And if it's incongruent, then you just have to shut it down and say, okay, well, I guess that's not, I'm not allowed. But because you shut that process down so early on in the process, like you were saying, you don't actually get to like dig any deeper to discover things about yourself and explore what it is about this that you actually enjoy or are wanting to engage with or learn more about. And so the thing is, if you are shutting down this process of self-exploration before it barely even gets started, what ends up happening is you end up losing the capacity to make space for authentic joy and pleasure in your life, which is the topic I'm going to try to reel it back into here, right? So in order for you to actually enjoy something, you are going to be like personally connected to it in some way. So if we stick with the, the music thing, like people enjoy music for all sorts of different reasons, right? Some people like it to, they literally like to just like dance and move and like feel the vibration in their body. And some people just really love the lyrics. Some people love the emotions, right? They like to connect with the emotion behind the lyrics. And like, that's me. I'm like, I love it. It's like, for me, music is like therapy. And I like put on the music that's like embodying whatever emotions I'm like feeling that day and wanting to like connect with or release or whatever. But if you don't even get to like discover that for yourself and there's just huge genres of music or music entirely that's just like not allowed for you to engage in. It's just, it ends up being really unfortunate. Uh, You end up losing out on a piece of your humanity, a piece of your identity, which, you know, kind of ties into what we were talking about last week, even with this, like the loss of humanity, like you become very restricted into how you are allowed to move through this world. Right. Right. What's interesting is I think, and we've talked about this like in previous episodes, but when we talk about the self that's deep within us, so like, why would I listen to a lecture on rhythm being demonic and my brain wouldn't immediately be like, yeah, that's cool. Like I, it wasn't, it really wasn't. I mean, that was what's to me, it's a testament that like there were parts of me that were hanging on to like, Hey, even though you're really deep into this, like belief system, like that, that, that's a little too far 
into the trenches. And I don't think I want us to go that deep. Like that's a little too much. Right. But my brain goes, okay, well, why, why wouldn't I just immediately be like, yes, I believe him because literally there were people sitting around me that were like, absolutely. They were like writing notes and like, mm-hmm. like sure literally listening to every single word coming out of this professor's mouth. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah. This is one of those got to sit with it for a second. And what I believe that to be, what it used to be told to me is, so in certain belief systems, it's like the spirit of resistance or doubt or whatever. And I was told nine times out of 10 that when I had that feeling that I didn't immediately agree with like a religious leader or a religious educator, that it was my own sinfulness that was being prideful to not listen to my elder and just absorb their teaching for what it is. Right. It's, it's linking though, to, if I can untangle that, that's not my pride, that's not evil. That's just my own almost like self-preservation and like self, you know, my autonomy trying to attempt to come out. What happens is you can sit with other presentations of when they tell you that pleasure or joy is sinful. So for example, like I really like watching movies or I really like taking a nap or I really like, I don't know, laughing with my friend and being loud. Like there would be times where people would be like, that's not pious. Like pious people are quiet and pious people are relaxed and they're not loud and they're not intense. And it's like, it's so sad. Like, you know, I think that's so sad to me because like basically telling you that you have to be a very particular type of person in order to be religious, then it's those deeper narratives of like, you could be praying right now. You could be reading the Bible. You could be going to church. You could be going and volunteering at the church. You could be at the service right now. You could be working for the church. Like it's almost like to be sleeping when you're tired and and literally finding like contentment and like relaxation and, you know, joy from watching a movie or something like when it goes so deep into the spectrum, it's so sad because there does become guilt. Like, so for example, the churches and there are churches out there that are like this guys, they literally hold events every single day of the week. So for example, if they're saying in order to be a part of this church, you have to be massively, you have to be actively engaged consistently throughout the week. And you're on a Friday night and you realize that a church event's going on and you're just like, you know what? I really just need a like, I just need a night in. I'm just going to sit here and watch a movie. So you start watching the movie, but then in the back of your mind, you're like, oh God, like I probably should be at church because that's where everybody like would want me to be. And like, and so you're watching the movie because you're attempting to like find some solitude or rest and relaxation, but you're basically told that like by enjoying something that's just your own, that's not, let's say even how dare say it's not a religious movie. (laughs) Like you are creating almost like, selfishness or you think you're more than like other people that you know and so it's it's this very very interesting dissonance that starts occurring with your own everyday experience and that's why we're bringing up like we could bring up like intense things that are naturally in our culture for like pleasure like sex and you know whatever and drugs but like notice we're not using those I'm using like which is so sad to me this is like such a sign of religious trauma because it's 
yes, it can be those more extreme examples. But nine times out of 10, when I was like talking to people in my everyday life, when I was deep in the cult mentality, it would be those things. It would be like small music. It would be like watching a movie that wasn't religious. It would be going to a concert where the person wasn't the same faith as you. Um, Me and CA brought up a couple of examples where this starts becoming like you feel guilt for not like binding every single experience to the faith system, right? And so, for example, people would be like, if you're going to have sex, let's say you're, you know, we know in religion, you have to be nine times out of 10, you have to be married in these religious contexts. But if you're married and you have sex, well, if you're going to have sex, you have to pray before you have sex. And then you have to pray after you have sex. And you have to pray before, you know, and plan that and like, whatever, like, that's what that's what we're talking about. We're talking about like, if every single thing in your life is not touched by the hand of God, then it is possibly going to be touched by the hand of Satan. (laughs) Right. If you're having a party, it has to be, you know, only with people of the same faith and only listening to the correct type of music in the background and everybody needs to pray before they eat and you have to be speaking about you have to talk about things of God like even your conversation topics become restricted and here's the thing is like I know there are people out there who maybe don't have a history of trauma and maybe just happen to be lucky enough to get into a more moderately preaching type version of Christianity who are listening to us right now and being like this is so extreme. This is not what Christianity teaches. Like, it's not fair that they're sitting here and saying this is a Christian problem. It's not. It's just, obviously, they were just like in a really crazy one. And that is very, what I want to speak to that is, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that there are people out there that are fortunate enough to have experienced or possibly be experiencing versions of Christianity that are not causing psychological harm to them. I am genuinely glad that that exists, but there is not enough people talking about those that were not raised in that version of Christianity. And this is what's so difficult. I think we used this um, analogy before about the topic of like siblings being raised in the same household and having very different variations of like how that felt for them or like even just like experiencing the same. Remember that day we went to Disney and like one kid, it was like the best day of their life. And the other kid, it was literally traumatizing for a whole myriad of reasons. And so it's like, I think we just need to be able to hold space. So as somebody who is on a podcast right now, speaking to the trauma portion of those who experienced harm from these systems, I am holding space for the fact I'm acknowledging that I understand there are versions of Christianity out there. There are pockets that are not harmful. And so I just need those of you in those pockets to hold space for this other camp that we're speaking to. Okay. So when I, cause when we were talking about there being no limit to where, like how restrictive this, like the rules around joy and pleasure can be, that can happen even within the same structure, right? Those two siblings living in the same household, because we know people that were kind of like side by side with us in this sort of like deeper version, like super heavily orthodox version of Catholicism, who didn't come out with a lot of this type of like harm and trauma. And then there are those of us who did. And so, and there's a, that whole spectrum in between. 
So the reason why these types of like systems though are like ripe for creating that amount of like difference of experience is because of the fact that these rules are rather arbitrary and the goalposts are always changing. And so, and, and from one person to another, like even like in leadership, there isn't always agreement about these topics. And so here's a very personal one that I can bring up is one of my great joys in life is Harry Potter. I grew up reading the books. I was one of those Harry Potter nerds that like quite literally went to midnight releases of books. Does Gen Z know? <laughs> I don't know. I think they, I think they Does know. Gen Z know? Do they know they that know. we went to midnight releases of I think they do. books? Okay. So we <laughs> would that? sign up ahead of time at Barnes and Noble oh, and so you could get your book. Oh, uh, anyway. <laughs> I was obsessed. Okay. And I, I felt great joy and pleasure in reading these stories. They, they were some of the, my, they were like my friends. I like loved reading these books throughout high school, you know, throughout my adolescence. And then the um, seventh book was written, was released the summer between my uh, sophomore and junior year of college. So throughout most of my adolescence into college. But here's the thing. I never had any bad feelings about Harry Potter until I started to interact with, we started like niching down in this like religious ideology. And then I started like interacting with people who were like super deep into like levels of conservatism in Catholicism that I had never encountered. Sometime towards the end of college, post-college, I started discovering that there were people that felt that Harry Potter was demonic or opened up the portal to demons, like you were saying, because they, because it's a book about witchcraft and wizardry. And so I remember when I first heard that, I literally laughed out loud because I thought they were joke. I was like, ah, like I laughed because I read every single one of these books and here I am miraculously not possessed by demons. And so I was like, wait, what? You know, I actually thought it was a joke. And then the more time went on, the more I realized that this was, no, this, these people were serious. And what ended up happening was like how a lot of those folks addressed that issue was it was a full on Harry Potter fan. And so the kind of like that talk about the rhythm for you where your brain was like, mm, I don't know about this. Like that was my experience when I heard that like Harry Potter was off limits. I saw Harry Potter show up on a um, list that went in, in Catholicism, we had talked about, um, we would go to confession. So you had to like, go like tell your sins to a priest. <laughs> Wait, I remember and this list. You sent me this Harry list Potter list. showed up on one of those lists. Like reading Harry Potter was something I was supposed to confess to a priest. And I actually remember like, that was my moment when I read that. I was like, that's not a sin. It's a book about kids. Like, I just remember being like, whoa. So like that was like a moment of like my like real self like doing that cognitive dissonance thing of like I think that's too far. But for every me that there was, there were plenty of other people who read that and went, "Oh, that's a sin I didn't know that." And they literally would get rid of all their Harry Potter books and throw them in the trash because even donating them to a library might allow somebody else to be exposed to it in the future and then they would be having played a part in the demonic possession of this Un, unwilling, unsuspecting 13-year-old somewhere. Okay. Calming myself down a little bit and we're going to tie this in. This is relevant. Okay. So 
what I, where I was going with that is like, this is an example of why some of this stuff is very arbitrary and therefore that arbitrariness creates confusion and where there's confusion, there's room for people to take it to that absolute all or nothing full on. If it's too confusing, if it's gray and nuanced and open for interpretation, that's too much of a risk for me. So we are just going to do all or nothing. We're going to say no Harry Potter because that's easier for the brain to like not have to deal with the fact that there might be different answers for different people. Well, see, I just think about us coming off of like the Halloween holiday and like how much that comes up for like religious um, extremism and whatever. And many people will look at me and be like, that's not extreme. Like, look at the history. Like, why are you saying that's extreme? And my brain goes like, we're not asking the question. Like, we're literally not asking the question. What are we doing when we celebrate that holiday? Like, what are we doing? Because if the extent of your Halloween experience has nothing to do with the origin story or even relating it to the pagan holiday, and you're literally putting on a costume, going to seven doors, getting candy and coming home, like you're not asking the question about how you're relating to that experience, right? And so what you're telling yourself is you're saying, no, it's evil. And someone said it was evil because it represents something that's evil and it's evil to me. Okay, well, what aspect of that is making it evil? Like seriously, just asking yourself, using your own autonomy, using your own common sense and your critical thinking, what is it about that that is making it evil? Because we're not talking about you doing rituals. We're not talking about you doing summonings. We're not talking about you leaving lighting a candle. We're talking about candy exchange, right? Right. And so, but when, when I break it down like that, someone's like, well, that's absurd. You're making it way too simple. And I'm like, genuinely, what is your interaction? Because if you're telling me your interaction is more than that, yeah, we can open the dialogue. But nine times out of 10, if you're someone who's like a regular run of the mill person that like celebrates Halloween, it's nine times out of 10 going to be that. Okay. So like my, this is where, and this is actually where the analogy works really well, right? Because a lot of kids get a lot of joy from receiving candy and a lot of pleasure from opening trinkets and whatever. And so notice what have churches starting to do? We have to dub it our own thing in order for it to not be sinful. And in reality, we're just talking about, like, for example, when I was still in deep in the face system, we would go to like trunk or treats, but they would be like church trunk or treats, right? Like, so it would be the church parishioners buying the candy with their, you know, holy money, doing their trunk with their car and being in a holy parking lot and then going around and receiving it that way. And because it was church ordained, it wasn't evil. And that's where I think we lose. Okay. If we're talking about the link of joy, pleasure, autonomy, and humanity, all I'm asking is that when you are not asking those questions and you're just letting like something over you saying, yes, it is evil. Yes, it is bad. It's so important. And this is actually leaning more to like the strategy side of the other side of religious trauma. But it's so important, especially when you're untangling, when something initially feels like, oh, wait, should I feel bad for experiencing joy here? Okay, that's the cue is just ask the question, like, where am I feeling the guilt? Where am I feeling the shame? 
if I'm feeling as though this might be like, for example, this might be your early stages, right? So you might actually be still curious, like, is Halloween actually a problem for me, right? Okay, well, the only way you're going to know it's a problem is if you genuinely feel like your spirituality is at threat. Like if it genuinely feels like it's threatened, my curiosity is, okay, who's threatening you? No, and I'm being, and I'm not trying to be an, like an asshole here. Like who, no. who is spiritually threatening you? Right. And because like, a lot of times, aspect, like that's right. the same strategy as dealing with like other types of like anxious or intrusive thoughts. Like sometimes just because you have a thought doesn't make it true. Right. And so true. if your brain is telling you, this is the devil, this is going to hurt your spirituality. What you're saying is take that pause, figure out, oh, okay. I'm having a thought. Is this thought my own? Was this thought put here? by somebody else? Does this thought actually resonate with what I know to be true about my life at this stage of my life and my growth? Take time to like actually challenge some of the thoughts that are coming into your head, right? Because so much of this stuff just gets hammered, hammered, hammered consciously and subconsciously that becomes default. And you end up restricting yourself without doing that exploration. Well, I think, and I think this leans back to where you are in your stage of deconstruction, because if you talk to me, like if I listened to you, what you just said, and I was on my new state, like my early stages of deconstruction, I would have been like, I can't ask that question because the second I start exploring, like, I know that voice that's arriving is the enemy. Like it's evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and that's, that's what we talked about last talking, time. Yeah. yeah. The last episode is that like your own exploration in humanity is actually dubbed as the problem. Right. And so for example, if I say, why are you scared of Halloween? And your brain is like, I don't know, it's just evil. And like, what if I like, what if the candy exchange represents like me giving a gift offering to like Satan and then there's an exchange and that's a representation of what that looks like in the pagan ritual. My brain goes, oh, there, there's something so profoundly disconnected between what you're really doing, which is both parties are not Satanists. <laughs> like both parties are not worshiping any kind of like evil presence. Okay. And then you're exchanging candy, right? So you're, you're like detaching the reality of the situation and then inserting like what it po- like the threat or the possibility that it could be something more. And that's what's happening with Harry Potter, right? You are reading a book. It's a fantasy book. It's a made up story with a made up school with a made up family and with made up characters, right? And you're reading it. And when you hear Avada Kedavra or whatever, or Adavra, I don't, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> Avada Kedavra. I hope a lot of our listeners are TikTok people. I think they are TikTok people, so I think they got it. Anyways, I think I butchered the spell. But like genuinely, this is the narrative we'd hear. There are actual spells in that book, and they are derived from Latin. And those those spells derived from Latin could, in theory, be linked to actual representations of incantations, Okay. If I brought someone who practices Wiccan in here, they'd be like, first of all, that's absurd. Second of all, it's that whole, like, do you hear how it like expanded so far out from what was actually occurring, which is you're reading a book and you are not in a mind space of like practicing Wiccan and you are not by reading the word Avada Kedavra actually trying to kill someone. Okay. And that's why when, this is why I'm like going back to what CEO was saying. 
some people are going to sit there and be like, oh my God, what extreme variation of Christianity are these two women talking about? But if anything that we are saying is resonating with you, then you have been in our boat because this is genuinely where it gets so disconnected from your own experience where CA saying, wait a second, her radar goes up and she goes, I was reading a book. That's all I was doing. I wasn't Right. And then this is where it conjure up something. This is where it gets into that like self gaslighting that we talked about last episode where you end up being like, well, and the power, the power of the mind. This is what you were saying earlier that I uh, never fully circled back to the suggestion of the mind. Okay, so if I had come across that ideology that Harry Potter was demonic and I was susceptible to believing it, what might have happened truly is I might have retroactively, completely, like, restructured the way that I experienced the joy and pleasure of reading those books. I will now retroactively go back into my memories and think about all the love and the joy that I felt in my heart and my body while reading those books. And I would say, oh, that was the devil's temptation because we are taught that the way the devil entices you is gonna feel good and it's gonna sound good like that's how he gets you and so I could have literally gone back through all my memories and and literally just dubbed and painted over and say all that joy was satan he was tempting you he was luring you in and it worked look how much you enjoyed it that's how you know it was bad because you enjoyed it so much. He really got you. Because that is the power of the mind right there. That is how strong our mind is, is to be able to read into situations and re like frame an entire situation to fit into a particular ideology in order to make it make sense according to these rules that we are told we have to live by. And that's what I was talking about earlier too, regarding the like who, what, where, when, and why of how we are allowed to experience joy. The Halloween one is such a great example of it because it's like regular trick-or-treating is bad, but Christian trunk-or-treating is good. Regular pop music is bad, but Christian pop music is good. Regular yoga is bad, but Christian mindful movement is good. Okay, you see where I'm going with this, right? As long as it's branded Christian or okay, you got the okie dokie from the man upstairs, thumbs up from Poppy. Like as long as you get that, you're allowed to engage in quite literally the same exact behavior as what these folks over here are doing. But because it's like dubbed Christian TM, like now you're allowed to do it. Okay, but that to me is like this is a cr- this is a crux moment to me because what if that what if that shift isn't God, but what if it's your own conviction around your experience of that situation? So instead of it being like, "Oh, I'm allowed to do trick or treating because God said this trick or treating is good because we're in his parking lot." You all you're doing is you're sitting there and you're saying you're asking that question to yourself. Literally, you're just asking that question to yourself. You're saying in is in any way what I'm doing while I'm reading Harry Potter in my brain actually incantations. 
And if the if your brain is like, no, it's not. We don't even have any intention to do any of that. We are reading a book. That's the answer. That's the pivot point of you doing your own, like, you know, dubbing that, allowing you to do that. Because what's happening is that we have touched on this, like with the whole God is the external. And when it, when constantly there, it goes outside of yourself, you don't gain the skills you need to actually be your own operative. Right. And so what that actually, where this parallels is that, see, like CA just said, this happened all the time in our church, at least. Okay. Where there would be literally the exact same rhythm, song, whatever, but they would switch like three words to make it like holy. Like, oh, I'm doing my prayers tonight or something. And you're like, oh, okay. So like the second it was dubbed like holy, then it was allowed. And so what my curiosity becomes like, okay, at what point? Is this music actually creating a problem in your life? Is this habit or something that you find pleasurable creating a problem in your life? And if that problem is related to, let's say, overindulgence or lack of moderation, like I could take anything that I find pleasurable. Like we did it in the Why Do I Crave Chaos episode. I didn't come to a conclusion that I should probably decrease my true crime listening because God told me to. I did it because I literally had a moment and I said, this might be part of my craving chaos wound and I want to work on it because I'm noticing that it's possibly not giving me what I need from my life. It's actually exacerbating a wound. How did I arrive to that conclusion? Because A, I was allowing myself the autonomy to explore what I was doing and what I thought was pleasurable. Okay. Because literally uh, there's jokes, like look at my social media. I like joke about how much I love tree crime. Okay. And even last year, if you interviewed me, you'd be like, what's one of your favorite hobbies? I'd be like listening to true crime. Right. So I found it incredibly pleasurable, but it wasn't until my brain started saying, hold on, you don't have to rob yourself of things that are pleasurable, but you're allowed to ask what utility it's serving. And the second I asked what utility it was serving, my brain goes, maybe we need to take a break because it might not be serving the same utility you thought it was. I really like that you're bringing this up and we might even wrap it up on this thought because I think what ends up being a fear that a lot of people have who maybe are very new to their deconstruction or not deconstructing at all, have never really thought about questioning any of this. They're the one of the very first like counterattacks, a counter arguments is going to be, well, if you don't have a religion showing you where the limits are, what is there to stop you from just going off the rails and becoming a complete and total hedonist that's constantly seeking the heights of pleasure at every single waking second of your entire life. Okay. And so this is why I want to wrap this up is I love that you did that story because if you're one of those people that is curious about if you would be able to gain the skills to self-moderate, here's an example of Jamie, like you have self-described yourself as somebody that was steeped very, very deeply into this ideology. And even you were able to move out of that, overcome some of those all or nothing thinkings, gain skills, gain experience, and get to a point where you now are capable of self-moderation. 
and exploring yourself authentically enough to take a look at the activities you're engaging in and allowing yourself, you know, healthy levels of pleasure and also knowing when it's time to explore those levels that you're taking it to, to make sure that you're keeping things in alignment with what's best for you and what's best for the version of you that you're becoming. Hmm. And it's wisdom and it's self-trust. And I think that's where we're headed with like some of the tools that we want to give you is we don't want to just talk about the issues that come up with religious trauma. We want to start giving you some of the tools and strategies that both of us have used. Like obviously me and CA have had different experiences with this, but like what tools did we use? What tools are we actively engaging in currently that are giving us the ability to like have such a strong foundation that we can trust ourselves? Like I can trust that I'm able to navigate a new experience of pleasure or joy. Like I don't have to get swept away and like and mind-numbingly stuck in this like hedonistic mentality i can allow myself to be anchored and i can trust which is huge so we will see you in the next part of the series and thank you for listening thank you for listening everybody Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollected self and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work